The following recording was produced by Christ Redeemer Church of Hanover, New Hampshire. The speaker is Doug Cooper. You may find more information on the church and its various resources on the web at www.christredeemerchurch.org. It's good to be uh, jumping back into Galatians. I, I, I mean, I, I love... Um, breaking for Advent. I really enjoyed that time. Um, it was neat to jump back into the lodge. The candlelight service was great. Uh, I was thinking about it. I think that we had something like 82 people, maybe more, that came out. I think that's the most that we've ever had come out. So it's really encouraged by that, praising God for that. But um, at the same time, I would say that it's good to be back in, um, in Galatians. I, here's some more numbers for you. I was uh, thinking about it. It's been eight weeks since we broke from Galatians. It's been two whole months. The last time we were in Galatians was November 12th. Um, I don't know how that's correct, but it is. And um, so maybe here's a, a little test for all of us. Uh, it would be, what do you remember from our series, our sermon series in Galatians? Do you remember anything at all? And uh, unless your answer is yes, uh, just stay, be quiet. Just don't, don't answer. Pretend, you know. Tell me sweet little lies. Um, however, I, I would say if you guys are anything like me, it's very possible that uh, it's a bit of a struggle and a bit of a strain to remember, like, what, what, what is it that we were looking at? What is it that we were discussing um, in Galatians. And so um, here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to have just a little bit, not a little bit, we're going we're gonna to do a review. We're going to have a review sermon. It'll be more than that, but um, generally speaking, I think it's fair to say that this is going to be a review sermon um, in which we will try to consider um, this passage that Kate just read for us broadly, um, try to consider uh, themes, big idea, big picture of Galatians, um, and we're actually going to return to these same passages next week. And at that time, we'll look at what's here in a much more particular, specific sort of a way. And so for this morning, I think a good question for us, to, for all of us to ask is, um, what's at the heart of this letter? What's at the heart of Paul's letter to the churches of Galatia? And even if you've forgotten a good deal about the sermon series, um, I'm hoping that you might have an answer to that one very um, big picture specific question. And if you were looking at our um, sermon page while Kate was reading and you were seeing the title, um, that should be a, a dead get giveaway, right? Uh, at the heart of this letter is a strong, very strong argument for the gospel. And if you're now looking at the title of the message, um, you'll see that we're looking to get underneath even that a little bit, um, moving beyond just this straight ahead uh, answer of the gospel. And so I would put it like this. At the heart of this letter is a strong argument for the gospel and for the freedom that is inherent within this message of the gospel. So the title of this message is Gospel Freedom. But what does that even mean? Um, what is gospel freedom? Like how, I, maybe a way of thinking about it would be like, how, how um, is gospel freedom in any way different from any other kind of concept of freedom 
notion of freedom. I think that's a good thing for us to try to zero in on together as we reflect on these passages. Um, so I'm just going to offer up an outline. Um, some things for us, to, three things for us to consider as we re-enter Galatians, as we re-enter this sermon series. One, we're going to begin by returning to Paul's passion. And um, this is actually a, an easy way to remember this letter, actually. Like, this is one of the standout things, is that you see Paul getting very passionate, very um, heated, I would even go so far as to say. And I think that what we'll discover, if we're looking for it, is that it is this concept of freedom that the gospel offers us that is very much at the heart of Paul's passion and him getting heated. So that'll be the first thing, Paul's passion. Secondly, we'll consider the inverse of gospel freedom. Um, this is arguably what Paul is addressing with the Galatians, is that they've inverted it, right? And so our second point will be called false freedom. And then lastly, we'll end by considering um, gospel freedom itself. So to begin with, Paul's passion. And um, this, is, this is like some, some good study method here. Almost exclusively, if you want to locate the hot spots um, in which Paul's passion is really calling attention to itself, um, just go looking for the question marks that you find throughout the letter, and you'll find it. Almost every time Paul asks the Galatians a question in this letter, it's uh, this passionate um, and rhetorical sort of a question. In other words, it's in, it's, these questions are instructive. That's essentially what rhetorical means. And they are most definitely arising from a place of like fierce passion on the part of Paul. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. Uh, for instance, from the passage that you have in front of you right now. If you look back, if you go to the bottom of your page, you look at verses 8 and 9 in chapter 4, Paul writes this. He says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it? So here comes the, the heated question, right? How is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? I, I mean, I think that's probably a bit of the, the tone. So, um, and we're going to come back to this little bit that I just read. But please do notice something before we, I, I'm going to give some other examples of questions in which Paul's doing this. But before we move on, um, in these two verses, please notice um, that this argument, these questions, the argument within these questions are founded upon what? They're, they're founded upon a notion of freedom. They're, it's like freedom versus bondage. That's the, the, the real premise of those questions, verses 8 and 9. How is it that you are turning back? Do you wish to be enslaved all over again? So you see, now going back a ways, just to give some other examples of, the, of these questions and Paul's passion, if you go to the very first question that Paul asks in the letter, um, this brings us all the way back to chapter 1. In verse 10, you get his very first question. He asks the question, Am I now seeking the approval of man? Or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, clearly, you, can, you, you feel it that we're jumping right into the middle of the conversation, like, what are we even talking about right now? But um, to understand these questions, all you need to do is just back up a little bit and scope out the, the statement immediately before it. 
So just before that, the, and by the way, this is the very first thing that Paul says following his, his opening greeting, his, his opening line. Right out of the gate, he says, I am astonished. You remember this? I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him, turning back. Very similar language from the verses that we just looked at. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And then we get those questions that follow in verse 10. One more example. Chapter 3. Beginning of chapter 3. I bet you'll remember this. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And then he he goes on even more um, with this lengthy interrogation. And this right here is it, okay? If If we're asking the question, like, what's Paul's passion? This is Paul's passion. All of these questions, all of these hot spots, they point us back inevitably to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to, beyond that, the, the Galatians' mishandling of it, the Galatians' misconceptions of it, the Galatians' distortion of it. He even refers to the Galatians' desertion of it. Okay, so what is Paul's primary passion? It's the gospel. Clearly it is. And so this being a review sermon of the letter, we have to ask the question, right? What is the gospel? What is it? Um, Here's a way that maybe you've heard it put recently. It's good tidings of great joy, right? Isn't this how the angels expressed it to um, the shepherds in the field? Uh, It's good news. It's good news. It's God's news about God, okay? It's, It's the good report from God that tells us that God himself has come to us, that God has come for us, and it informs us that the intention of his coming, the fulfillment of his coming, involved him doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. And he has. He's done it. It's finished. This is, I mean, this is why we call it news. It's finished. The gospel teaches us that he came to redeem us. Uh, This refers to, I'll just express it the way that another person put it. If you're like, what does that mean? Redeem. Um, The work of Christ, this is what it is, the work of Christ on our behalf, whereby he purchases us, he ransoms us at the price of his own life, securing, and listen to this part because it really gets to this idea of freedom, He ransoms us at the price of his own life, securing our deliverance from the bondage and condemnation of sin. What Paul is very passionate about in this letter to the churches of Galatia is the person and the fully accomplished work of Jesus. The one who came, and I'm I'm going to put this in Jesus' words, the one who came to set the captives free. Gospel freedom. Now, peeling it back, what does this mean, we should ask? What should it mean to us? And to better understand this, we're going to begin with the inverse 
of the thing itself, the inverse of the gospel. And that makes sense for us to do that because this is what the Galatians have done. This is why Paul is writing to them in the first place. The Galatians have turned the true gospel on its head. In other words, they've distorted it, right? They've distorted it in such a way that they have emptied it of its true meaning. They've emptied it of its power even. And so how they've done this, we need to look at, um, we've got to look at this. If we want to understand, like, how do they do this? I think the thing to do is to try to look at it through the lens of freedom. You know, like, as if uh, freedom um, were a litmus test for us to understand, like, do, do we have the real gospel or do we have a false gospel? As though it was like a sniff, a sniff test or um, like a canary in a mine or something like that. Freedom is a very helpful way to evaluate what we've got. So this next point is entitled false freedom. We considered false passion, now false freedom. Uh, I, I wonder if you noticed, looking through this, this whole passage here, um, there, there are certain words that are repeated again and again and again, many of them pertaining to the experience of bondage or oppression. For instance, in chapter 4, uh, we've got just nine verses from chapter 4 printed here, and you can find five occurrences of the word slave, or as, he, as Paul puts it in verse 9, the experience of being enslaved. And this is the, the big idea, I really think, um, in him using these words, that this is what Paul, Paul's getting at, is this experience of being in bondage. For, um, I'll give you another example. Listen to how he expressed this towards the end of chapter 3 in a very different way, using different language. Uh, this will take you to the top of your sermon page. I'm looking at chapter 3, verses 23 through 25. Paul says, Before the coming of this faith, Speaking of the gospel, before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody. Others have translated this as imprisoned. We were imprisoned. We were held in custody under the law, locked up, he says, until the faith that was to come would be revealed. Again, this is referring to the gospel. This is the thing that is being revealed. This is the great mystery that's being uncovered. Verse 24 now, so the law was our guardian. Do you remember this? We actually went over this before, but the last time that we looked at this, I had us looking at it from the New American Standard Bible in which it renders guardian as tutor. Um, so it would have sounded like this. The law was our tutor to lead us to Christ. And when we looked at this last, I mentioned that this was a common, um, this illustration that Paul's using, this was a common thing at the time, that children in, in higher society during their developmental years would be assigned a servant that would be essentially a tutor for them, but not more, much more than that, and not tutor in the kind of nice, cozy way that you might think of. Um, they were harsh disciplinarians. And this is why I think that some translators have translated this as guardian. It goes along with this language of imprisonment or being in custody and sort of that, that sort of thing because they almost felt like they had prison guards, like they were under lock and key. They were constantly under watch. They were under the scrutiny of these guardians. Um, they were experiencing their discipline, and so it was kind of miserable. And Paul is using this as an illustration, of course, to describe to us the law. It's an interesting thing. He takes the law, he personifies it, he gives it a personality, and he, and he basically gives us two masters. This should be um, reviewed to us. One master being the law, the other master being Christ. 
And so he's saying, try as you might, the law can't set you free. You can't get out from under its thumb. It's got you under its thumb. And of course, you may recall, this is what the Galatians were doing. This is what they were doing. This is why Paul is saying these things. They were returning to this tutor, right? They were returning to this guardian. They, they had, um, you know, certain people of Jewish or, origin were coming in among them, were talking to the non-Jewish Christians from among their churches. Um, folks often, the, the, the Jewish folks who were coming in often referred to as Judaizers. And they, in so many words, were saying to these non-Jewish Christians, hey, you're interested in Jesus. Great. But if you really want to become a Christian, in case you want to know, what you really need to do is you need to go about this differently. You'll need to follow certain aspects of the Jewish law. You'll need to be circumcised. You'll need to follow our dietary laws, etc. And Paul is saying, that's not freedom. Do you understand, Galatians? That's not freedom. That's false freedom. In fact, that's bondage. You had freedom. You had it. Because you had the new master. You had Jesus. He fulfilled the law for you because you could never do it. You would always be under its thumb if left to yourself. It could never redeem you from your sins. Only he could. But now you've gone back. You've turned back. And you've placed yourself back under the thumb of the law. Oh, foolish Galatians. What are you doing? And coming into chapter 4 now... I think this gets interesting. Spend a bit of time with this, looking at this, because he continues, as you come into the beginning of chapter four, he continues with this illustration of being a child under this guardian, but now he refers to this experience of being under the law in much bigger and broader ways. It's a little bit hard to understand. In verse three, he says this, quote, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. And then coming back to where we began, verses 8 and 9 of chapter 4, there's a connection here. He asks, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Forces, forces. You see that? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Again, this is tricky to make perfect sense of. In other words, what is, what is he, what it's being talked about here? What is Paul referring to when he speaks about these weak and miserable, elemental, spiritual forces of the world? I'm not entirely sure. I, I, I'll say that first. But I think he's getting at something, okay? I think he's getting at the fact that apart from Christ, this mentality that we have with the law is like our native religion, the ways that we connect to it. This is the way of the world, okay? Like that we seek to save ourselves. That apart from Christ, we seek to go it alone to say, I know how to set myself free. I can do this. I can meet the demands. I can ascend. I can be my own savior. And in the process, inevitably, And maybe without us even knowing, we're going deeper and deeper into this bondage. For instance, I've not been very practical um, up to this point. I'll attempt to do that now. So, I mean, just let's think about this word freedom for a minute. 
this is very, very relevant, too relevant, really. Um, what does that word actually mean? What does freedom mean? And the answer is it depends on who you ask, right? Like you could get, you go out on the street, you could find about 15 different answers to that question maybe. Um, freedom is a virtue. We know that. It's a virtue in our world. We, we hold it in high esteem. It's a, it's a high virtue in our culture. But um, what we might mean by freedom and what Paul has in mind here could be worlds apart. Right? The broad contemporary concept of freedom that most people would have in mind is what you might call personal freedom. And you understand this because you see this everywhere. I know I see it everywhere. I'm sure you see it everywhere. Uh, it, it maybe goes something like this. In order for me to be free, I need to be unhindered by anyone, anyone else's ideas of what I should or shouldn't do. Unhindered. I need to be... Free from um, what anyone I, idea of who I should or shouldn't be. In order for me to be truly free, I need to be free to decide all of those kinds of things on my own. Okay, I need to be my own boss, my own judge and jury. Maybe I'm like putting this in harsh language. I don't know, but um, essentially, I don't want to be under anyone else's thumb. I want to be free. This is personal freedom. Let me just pave my own way. That's true freedom. And in, in many, I think this is a, 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 like a cultural vibe, would say, and I demand it. You know, like in the words of Mr. T, you know, like I pity the fool gets in my way. I want my freedom. Anybody remember Mr. Mr. T? Nobody? Thank you, please. Um, am I overstating this, this concept of freedom? I don't think I am. Maybe I am. Um, is this what Paul has in mind here? I don't think so. In fact, if you're beginning to wonder to yourself, well, what is gospel freedom? You haven't really told us yet, Doug. Good question. Thank you for asking. Um, this leads us into our next point, gospel freedom. And you may be surprised by this, by the answer. You may even find it a bit disturbing, a bit off-putting. But I would describe gospel freedom as being the exact opposite of the way that I was just describing a more broad notion of freedom. And the best way that I can think to describe this is to share a very insightful quote with you. In fact, I would encourage you to look at it. It's uh, on our Time of Reflection page. It's at the very top. It's from the now-deceased... Um, excellent English theologian John Stott. Listen to how he puts this. He says, true freedom is to be one's true self. And I'm just going to say time out right there because from, from a cultural standpoint, we can interpret that the wrong way. Um, what I believe he means by this, uh, and this I think will be borne out as we continue to read his quote, is not I believe um, my true self to, to you know, what I believe my true self to be, but I think what he has in mind is who God created him to be, who God created us to be, who he designed us to be as our designer, right? So again, coming back to the beginning, true freedom is to be one's true self, but my true self is made for loving by design. My true self was made for loving. By design, I was made for loving. And loving is self-giving. So, in order to be myself, I have to deny myself and give myself. In order then to be free, I have to give up 
my freedom. In order then to live, I have to die to my self-centeredness. In order to find myself, I've got to lose it. It almost feels like he's playing a trick on us or something like that, right? It almost sounds like, this sounds almost like a riddle, except it's not. You understand? Like, this is, what he's describing, this is it. This is gospel freedom. Doesn't necessarily sound like freedom, does it? The way that we tend to think of freedom. And yet, what a wise statement. What a totally countercultural statement on the part of Stott. And what an altogether, if he's right, and I think he is, what, what an, an altogether unworldly, out of this world notion of freedom this is. It's a lot. It's a lot to deal with. In practice, practically speaking, I would ask the question, does this, you could ask yourself this question, does this align with my concept of freedom or does it run against it? Does it gel with me? Does it gel with my notion of freedom or is it rubbing me the wrong way? And then if so, why? And I would say that if you understand it, you'll probably say to yourself, yes, both. Like, yes, this gels with me. Yes, this is rubbing me the wrong way. Okay? In other words, we never fully arrive at this. This is why it's good to review. Okay? We never fully arrive at this. We're always in process on this. This talk of denying myself, giving myself, giving up my freedom in order to love others. This talk of dying to self in order to find ourselves. This isn't a natural disposition of ours. I'll just put it that way. Um, if we've had a true encounter with the gracious, justifying love of Christ, I think that we will feel inspired, on the one hand, inspired to aspire to this standard that I was just expressing, and yet we will inevitably feel at odds with it. Like, ugh, really? But remember the litmus test of freedom. It's really important. Remember this litmus test of freedom. What kind of gospel are you in possession of? What kind of gospel are you in possession of? Is it one that is setting you free in the ways that I just described or no? Or is it one that's oppressing you? Is it bringing you back under the thumb of the law? Is that the kind of gospel that you're in possession of? This is a huge consideration every time we come away from the letter to the Galatians, that we have to ask that kind of question and take a long, hard look at ourselves in the mirror. And as, as another consideration, one of the ironic things about the freedom of the gospel is that it doesn't free us from a master altogether so that we can then become our own masters. That's not what gospel freedom is about. No. Rather, it draws us into fellowship with a new and better and good master, the Lord Jesus Christ. I like the way that Tim Keller put this. He said, freedom is not the absence of limitations and constraints. If that's what we think freedom is, we, we're misunderstanding it. Like, freedom, I should have no constraints. No. You'll know that you have a proper freedom if it involves some limitations and constraints. He goes on to say, but it is finding the right ones, those that fit our nature and liberate us. And ultimately, ultimately what he's talking about here is Jesus. 
That's what he's talking about. He's the right one. He's the master that best fits our nature because he made us. And he alone can liberate us. And he's worthy of us bowing the knee of our hearts to his lordship because he has perfectly and lovingly done the very things that we were talking about here, this standard. He denied himself. Did he not? He led the way on this. He gave himself, even to the point of death, a, a humiliating death, a death on the cross. And he gave us his freedom. He gave it up, right? I mean, he was reigning supremely, freely in heaven. He left heaven. He left the perfect fellowship of the Father and the Spirit in order to come to us. This was an ultimate act of love. I mean, do you see what I mean by this? That like, like freedom sets us free to love others and to sacrifice. Freedom d- doesn't uh, lead us into this like deep consideration of ourselves. It actually sets us free from ourselves. All of these like perseverating considerations about ourselves. And it, it, it somehow sets us free to be more concerned and care for others. This is what Jesus did. This was the ultimate act of love, and it was the ultimate demonstration of perfect freedom. He was not under any obligation whatsoever, but he freely laid down his life for us in order to make us his very own. This is gospel freedom. This is just a a, a reintroduction to the letter to the Galatians, and um, it's an important reminder. So... things to chew on, things to consider. Let me pray. Uh, Father, this really is an alien idea in the world in which we live. Um, This really runs against the grain of uh, so much of uh, what we see around us and also what we see within ourselves. God, help us to start with ourselves. Um, Help us to to, um, look outward to you and to look inward. Um, We pray that this gospel freedom would come and meet us again and again. Um, Lord, we pray that we would be inspired to aspire to um, the love of Christ. And uh, we pray that by your spirit, you would meet us when we want to buck against that. Uh, We thank you for this letter. We thank you for um, just how undeniable it is um, uh, with its spotlight on the justifying work of your son. God, may we be people who are marked by this message. Um, May it be just the rhythm of our lives. by grace through faith in Christ alone. We pray this in his name. Amen.